Easter morning. It's always a debate whether or not you should say Easter or Resurrection Sunday. To me, it makes about as much sense as Christmas or Happy Holidays. The only person that cares is the person arguing. At the end of the day, it's what you know of it in your heart that matters. God judges us by our heart and our and our actions should follow that. But during the celebration of Resurrection Sunday, it can be easy to get distracted by the allure of the modern holiday. Just like most things that God has set apart for his people, the world will grab it and turn it into something that it's not. Some people are going to spend today hoping that their kids find all the eggs because they don't remember where they put them. And they're pretty sure in a week it's just going to be nasty. Some people are going to spend spend the day eating themselves into a food coma. Other people will spend the day rooting for their favorite person at the master's. Those of you who have no idea what that is, it's okay. It's okay. I feel the same way when the Super Bowl comes on. Like, who are you rooting for? I, said, I don't know, the third commercial. It's, it's, it's about all I got. Some people are here for the first time since Christmas. Congratulations. I'm glad you're here. We're, we're, we're adding. It's good. Other people are going to spend the day getting a sudden and violent reminder that peeps are gross. And the only good Cadbury egg is the caramel one because no one actually knows what that white stuff in the other Cadbury egg is. I'm pretty sure it's last year's peeps. (laughs) It's just a thought. I'm relatively sure. No, I'm just... No. Nothing should look like that. It just, it shouldn't. (laughs) Thankfully, that none of those are are why we're here today. Uh, Today, I want to tell you what others might call a story. I just simply call it the truth. Today, we're going to set aside as a reminder for all those who call themselves Christians of the greatest gift ever given to mankind. It's not a gift that we can hold in our hands It's not a gift that you can put inside of a basket with a bunch of straw and surround with chocolate. Yummy, delicious chocolate. And if you're one of those people that gets the hollow eggs or the hollow rabbits, you need to check your salvation status. It's just, get a chocolate rabbit, get a, get a, get a full-bodied chocolate rabbit. Come on, folks. Not that that's a childhood trauma of mine. You get the rabbit, you unfold it, and the face is all caved in. You're like, Mommy, it's dead. (laughs) Eat it anyway. (laughs) The gift that we're talking about, few will accept. The Bible tells us few will accept this gift, and even fewer will actually understand it. That's okay. There's no test to get into heaven. Thank God. If I get up to heaven, get to the gate, and someone hands me a Scantron form, I'm done. It's a gift that we can only receive on our own behalf. Have you ever thought about this? The gift that that Jesus gives us, we can only receive on our own behalf. We cannot give that gift to other people. The best we can do in our lives is lead people in a direction where they can receive that gift for themselves, but we can't get it for them. And parents, I hope you really understand that. You cannot give that gift to to your children. You can only lead them to where they can get it for themselves. So it's important that we take this seriously. And the gift itself, we receive it in a really strange way. We receive the gift by choice. 
And even the choice is strange because the choice is not to receive the gift or not. The choice is whether or not the gift is real. That's the choice. When you make the choice that that gift is real, you receive the gift. And if you make the choice that the gift isn't real, you don't get the gift. That weirds people out. What, I got to believe in it before I get it? Yes. Yes. There is no third choice. You either believe it's real or you don't. The word of God tells us you're either for me or against me. There's no fence straddling. There's no foot in, one, in the world and, foot in the, and one foot in, the, in heaven. It doesn't work that way. You're either all in or you're all out. And halfway is a no. When you make that choice, whichever direction you decide, it will not only set you on a path that will guide you throughout the rest of your life, it will also determine the destination for the, for your, uh, for the next life. That one choice will set you on a path that will guide every decision that you will ever make for the rest of your life, and it will also determine the destination for the life to come. One choice. It begins it all. It's like pushing the boulder down the hill. It's on its way. Choose. Choose this day whom you will serve. It's a topic a lot of people don't like to, uh, to get to. We love to avoid it, but there's a very profound truth that this life is not all there is. There's more than this. Thank God there's more to this life than this little tiny overweight meat bag that I happen to be living in at the time. When heaven says everyone gets a new body, <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> Are they all the same height? <laughs> With my luck, I'm going to be like cherubim. Really? <laughs> Love the wings, but come on. <laughs> This life is just the beginning. One of the things that brings me joy and peace is knowing that our creator, the one who placed this choice before us, is not someone sitting up in the clouds watching everything unfold, just wondering how it's going to work out. He has been at work from the very beginning, from the very moment he created this world, building the foundation on which he placed that choice, the foundation on which he placed that gift. So what is this gift we're talking about? This gift is salvation, forgiveness of sin, restoration of the soul, and eternal life. That's the gift. The gift is not being socially accepted. The gift is not health. The gift is not wealth. The gift is not having a wonderful life. The gift is an open door to the next life. All of this is made available through the, the shed blood of Christ on the cross of Calvary. Strange way to bring this kind of gift to his people. You see, shortly after God gave rise to this world, mankind that he created in his own image, we were created in the image of God, given dominion over this world. We chose to believe a lie. We chose to believe words of temptation that promised us everything we would ever want, that we would be like God. Could you imagine? Hey, creation, do you know that you can be just like your creator? Well, no, no, I can't, because he is the creator. I'm the creation. 
And the enemy of our soul says, no, you can be just like your creator and he's keeping something from you because here's what you got to do. We know that he gave you his word and in his word he gave you directions and in those directions he told you to only, you could only do this, don't do this and if we violated this, then we would be, uh, that bad things would happen. But here's the th- here's the deal, this is a test. See, this is a test. You see, if you go beyond the word of God, that's where the blessing is. And so in our selfish desires, we made a choice. Humanity made a choice to follow after our own desires and to reject the word of God. And in doing so, we sinned. In fact, that's the very definition of sin. Valuing our word over God's word, following our passions, not his directions. In all things, that is the very definition of sin. God created a perfect place for us. All we had to do was believe his word and we would be there forever. We didn't. I don't know if you realize this, but humans are thick. We are stubborn and we learn really slow. There's one guaranteed result of sin and it is a separation from God because God cannot be in the same place as sin. And it's not that God is allergic to sin. Here's the reality. Sin is is destroyed in the presence of God. It's not that sin does something to God. Sin is destroyed in the presence of God. That is why God separated himself from us because we are sin. He did not separate himself from us in punishment. He separated himself from us because he loves us and he knows that if we are in his presence in our sinful state, we will be destroyed. So he had to create a distance for our benefit, not his security. He was never worried about what sin was going to do to him because sin cannot be in front of him. But he had to do something to fix the problem on our part. The enemy of our soul thought he had won a victory. Ha ha, taking the creation away from the creator. But what the devil didn't know is that God's pretty smart. He can see the end from the beginning. He already knows. And from that very second when that choice was made in the heart of a human being, a plan was put in place to get back what was lost. From the very beginning, that plan has been here. For 4,000 years, not one second has gone by when God was not working to put that plan into action. Some people complain that God being all-powerful should have had that, uh, should have just decided everything was good. He should have just forgiven Adam and Eve right then. God can do anything he wants, right? So why go through all of this stuff? Why 4,000 years, the nation of Israel, the law, the prophets, snakes? Come on, can't you just, you're God. There's only two people on the planet. Why not just be like, boom, you're forgiven. Here you go. See, there's a problem with that method of thinking. That method of thinking, there's an underlying premise there that God made a mistake when he made us. That was a career chef. There was a couple times I'd make something and be like, oops, is that sugar or salt? Oops. But you see, starting over would be to assume that God made a mistake when he created us and that maybe next time, maybe next time he'd get it right. Come on, God, learn from your mistakes. But that's not the case. God doesn't make mistakes. We were made exactly how he wanted us to be made. 
with free will and choice. He gave us the ability to choose, to love, and to decide for ourselves the path that our life would take. And he did this knowing full well that granting us the ability to love without bounds also gives us the ability to sin without bounds. Both have to exist. We can love without limit. We can sin without limit. All I have to do is take a cursory look at, her, at history, and you'll find that out real fast, that we've rocked both sides of that world. And there we find the dilemma of our existence. The choice to believe the word of God or the choice to not believe the word of God. But you see, now we have a problem. You got Adam and Eve in the garden. God has now separated from them. God cannot speak directly to them face to face like he did before when they were without sin. So God needed to get his word to them, get his word to humanity in a different way. And so he did. And the plan was put into action. The cost of our sin was separation from God, and the plan of God was to balance those scales. But how do you balance that scale? We don't even understand. Most of us have a hard time even understanding why sin is sin. How are we supposed to balance this this cosmic scale in the spirit world that we don't even understand? We don't have access to that. We don't understand things that deep. The answer is that we cannot. But God can, and he did. And that's the gift we celebrate on this day. See, God started this whole thing by setting apart a people, the nation of Israel, by his own words, the most worthless group of people on the planet at the time. He didn't set apart the best. He set apart the ones where like no one would believe that I'm going to work through these people. That makes me feel really good about being called into ministry. Because that's a pattern that God tends to use all through history. You got the best and the brightest, and then you got the guy who can't reach the top shelf at Walmart. Hallelujah. But it's proof that the power of God can do amazing things. Throughout the centuries, God gave this people what we now call the law. And throughout the centuries, God gave them, excuse me, He gave them everything they would need to understand about life, family, love, government. The answers to any question that you would want on how to live a godly life in this situation, they are found in that word, in that law. We call it the Bible. But it also told us something else. It told us the cost of our forgiveness. See, just living a good life isn't good enough. In order to be in the presence of God after this life is over, something has to change on the inside of us. There's something in us that died that needs to be brought back to life, and we don't know how to do that, so God is putting a plan in place to make that possible. So that newness of life only comes from the forgiveness of sins. We've got to find a way to identify and atone for the sin of man. And that was outlined in his word, and the the cost is more than most of us will really ever understand. And Hebrews says, Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. 
saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. Listen to this last line. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. That means there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. The cost of sin is death. In order for the sin to be atoned, the life of, a, of one that is sinless has to be taken in, pay, in payment. So for our sin to be atoned for, something sinless has to pay that price for us. And I meet a lot of people over the years that are just like, that is grotesque. I don't understand this. This is, this is ridiculous. This is barbaric. I need you to understand something about that, if that's a thought that you might have, because it is, it's repulsive. But our feelings about it are also irrelevant. That's the cost. There are so many things that we may, we may bump up to things in the Bible that we think, I don't understand how God could allow that to happen. It doesn't matter. The Bible also says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. We cannot see things the way God sees them. We will never understand things to the depth that he understands them. We don't know what the ripple effect of our decisions are, but God does. And I'm sure if there was a different way that this could go, he would, he would do it. But God is perfect in all things. And this is the way. The cost of our sin is the death of something that has no sin. One of the things I think, one of the reasons I think we have a difficult time accepting this is because we have a tendency of liking to do things ourselves. We want to be able to make this decision on our own. I want to be able to not only save me, I want to be able to save others. I'm a man. I don't want to have to bow to something. I don't want to have to rely on something else. I want to be able to do it myself. No. It's not how it works. And I think that's the point. We are incapable of being sinless, and so therefore we are incapable of making atonement for our own sin. Meanwhile, uh, meaning that we are not capable of getting back to God on our own. In any way, shape, or form, we are incapable of getting back to God on our own. He has to help us. He has to do what is impossible for us to do. If you think about it, we're stuck in a prison of our own making, and the only way out is for someone to pay the penalty for us. God made a way for that penalty to be paid, and that way began with him giving his people the law. The law taught us what it meant to walk in righteousness versus sin. It taught us what it meant to be selfless versus selfish. It taught us how to be loving versus lustful. It told us what it meant to be giving versus greedy. It taught us what it meant to live in the clarity of faith versus versus faithless wandering. I know before I came to Christ, it was faithless wandering. But when you come to Christ, there is a clarity provided by that faith. And it taught us the price of our redemption and laid out in detail the process by which that payment must be made. It also told us of a promise. A promise that God would send a Savior, a Messiah, who would do what we could never do for ourselves, who would restore what was lost. But it wouldn't happen the way most people expected. 
It was thought by the Jewish leaders of the day that the Messiah would be a great political military leader because that's the way God always worked through them. They forgot that the problem that God was trying to solve was not a physical one. It wasn't one of nation building. It was a spiritual one. This world's going to come to an end. Why is God going to save this world? He's trying to save his people. The Messiah did not come to save one nation or to build an empire. The Messiah came to open the door of spiritual redemption to all mankind by paying the price of all sin of all people for all time. And the cool thing is, God told us how it was going to happen over and over and over again throughout his word, yet people missed it constantly. One of my favorite passages is this, Isaiah 53, 1 through 12. Listen to the language in this. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? That means who has God placed his strength in? Says my servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows. Acquainted with the deepest grief, we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment from his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we would be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. That by itself should let you know he's not talking about someone in that day. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal, but put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord, uh, excuse me, it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. And when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him honors and vict- uh, uh, the honors of a victorious soldier because he has exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. This was written 700 years before Jesus took his first breath as a human. God laid out for us so many times all of the details of the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of our Savior, yet we, we, we still have a hard time believing it today. Now, I'm not going to spend any time going through the details of that crucifixion. You can read about it in the Gospels. That's not what we're talking about today. He died and then he rose. I only want to say this because 
I, 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 it's interesting how many times I have this conversation throughout the year. Jesus was not the victim of Roman justice. We need, we need to understand this. Jesus was not a victim in this. He was not the victim of an angry Jewish mob. This was always the plan. The reason why Jesus was born when he was born, the reason why, Je- why Jesus came into being when he came into being, because all the people were in the right place at the right time to do what God needed them to do. He knew that the Jews would turn. He knew that the Romans would kill him. And he knew all of the details surrounding it. He used our weakness to bring his strength. Knowing that even those crying crucify him, free Barabbas, even all of those still have the ability to be saved by confessing their faith in the one they had killed. None of this was a surprise. God wasn't trying to figure this out at the last minute. Oh my gosh, they got him. They're going to kill him. What am I going to do? We're going to turn this into the, into the, into the savior. That's not what he did. He knew all of it. The death of Christ in all of its details was always the plan. He wasn't taken by anyone, but he was given for everyone. He was given as an offering of atonement that would replace all other offerings. He was given as a payment for your freedom, for my freedom, from the penalty of sin. As we said before, it takes the life of an innocent to cover the sins of the guilty. And Jesus did not have his life taken He gave it willingly. But that was Friday. See, Friday he gave his life to atone for our sins. Now, I don't know if you ever had this question asked to you. I get it asked to me a lot. How come Jesus didn't rise from the grave on Saturday? Why three days? Why, why, why did he wait till Saturday? It's the Sabbath! Jesus isn't gonna violate the Sabbath. He's honoring his father by doing exactly what God told him to do. Honor the Sabbath. He wasn't in hell fighting the devil. I don't know where people get that. Drives me crazy. Could you imagine? People think Jesus went to hell and stole the keys of of death and, and everything from the devil. And they were fighting for three days and he was like punching. Could you really? What does that fight look like? You know, honestly, you know, imagine, you know, like I, I'm, I'm getting all mad and bent out of shape, and there's, there's J and JP, and I'm about to, I'm about to go to town on them. You notice both of them are giggling. No one is ever afraid, and I'm like, I will climb all over you, because <laughs> that's about all I could do. No one's worried about that fight. Is Jesus going to be like, oh, look, the devil's so mad. You're so cute. You've already lost. There was no fight there. It was over. When Jesus said, it is finished, it was finished. Devil lost. And then Sunday. When the sun rise, the sun rose. Jesus rises from the grave, reminding us that the death and the grave have no hold on him. 
And it's not like he won a fight. He's letting us know that that death in the grave never had a hold on him. He did that for our benefit, not his. And now the death, that death and the grave has no hold on us. Those who go by the name Christian. This is where we find that answer to the question that we asked earlier. How do you undo these scales? How do you balance this equation? We try to put it to you this way. Jesus paid the price for our sins. He paid the cost for the penalty. And then he left us with a choice. The choice that stands before us is the same choice that stood before Adam and Eve in the garden. I don't know if you've ever looked at it this way. It's the same choice. It's just the opposite eye, uh, the opposite side. We can choose to believe the enemy of our soul or we can choose to believe the word of God. It's the same choice. It's the word of God that was spoken through the law and the prophets. It's the word of God that details the life and ministry of the Messiah. It's the word of God that teaches us about the character and nature of God. It's the word of God that works through the nation of Israel to bring mankind the promised redeemer. It was the word of God that outlined every detail of what needed to be done and that was done and fulfilled by the life of Christ on the, uh, and the death of Christ on the cross of Calvary. It was the word of God that tells us in Romans 9 that if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Same word of God. It's the same word of God that says in John 3, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Listen to this last line. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world. He's not your condemner. But to save the world through him. In the beginning, it was a choice to ignore the word of God and follow our own desires that separated us from our creator. And it is amazing to me today that it is a choice to deny our own desires and believe the word of God that brings us back to him. Some people think it can't be that easy. It is. It is the easiest thing you will ever do. It's also the hardest thing you will ever do. Let me explain. While it is incredibly simple, it is at the same time the hardest choice you'll ever make because while the gift of grace is free, walking that choice out day after day in our life has a cost because not everyone is going to walk this path with you. Jesus has one desire, to forgive you and enter into an eternal relationship with you. You think about this. If you're a thief, Jesus wants to forgive you and have a relationship with you. If you're a murderer, Jesus wants to forgive you and have a relationship with you. If you're a homosexual, Jesus wants to forgive you and have a relationship with you. If you're trans, Jesus wants to forgive you and have a relationship with you. If you're a drunk, Jesus wants to forgive you and have a relationship with you. If you're a drug addict, Jesus wants to forgive you and have a relationship with you. If you're addicted to pornography, Jesus wants to forgive you and have a relationship with you. If you've had multiple failed marriages, Jesus wants to forgive you and have a relationship with you. 
you're someone who has had multiple abortions, Jesus wants to forgive you and have a relationship with you. He's not here to condemn you. He's here to save you. He's here to give you an opportunity for something that you could never achieve on your own. And we often deny it because of what we have done with our own lives. We deny the choice to receive a gift we could never, we, we could never create for ourselves because of what we have created for ourselves. I've heard this, I've heard this said so many times in so many churches, but I don't know if God really understands what I've done in my life. Yeah, he does. And here's the thing. We come to Christ empty, broken, bloody, disgusting. And here's what Jesus wants to do for you. He wants to kill you. And that's where people have the problem. You see, you come to Christ with that life. And he will help you put that life to death so that you can have the life he intended for you. And I think that's where people have the problem. We want to come to Christ, get clean, and then go back to the life that we had before. I got news for you. This may offend some people. Going to confession does not clean you. Changing your life because of what God's word says cleans you. Just telling somebody else all the bad things you've done in your life. Hopefully, I'm, you know, I need to confess my sins tonight. That way, if I die in my sleep, I'm all good. That has nothing to do with it. It's repentance that matters. And the repentant heart does not return to its sin. It fights it. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that you just win the victory immediately. You, this may be a fight you have to fight constantly for the rest of your life. But fight it. I heard it... I heard it put this way and I thought it was fantastic. Fight for your faith like you're the third monkey on the ramp to Noah's Ark. <laughs> if you're not sure what that meant, there was only two allowed. Okay? Gets the point across, doesn't it? See, one, two, oof. You fight. My dad used to tell me growing up, he said, do everything you possibly can to avoid a fight. Everything. Do everything you can to avoid a fight. But if you have to fight, you fight to win. And you fight to win in the quickest, least damaging way possible. You fight hard and you fight fast. It's exactly how I, th- how I think we should be coming to our faith and approaching our faith comes a point where you've got to fight. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you so badly, he stepped out of heaven, walked the earth as a man, died like a criminal to pay a price that wasn't his. It was yours. All he wants you to do is believe that he did. 
Are you willing to come to him? Believe what he did. Accept the gift that he has offered to you. And then work with him to let your old life die. So that you can step into something new. A lot of people hang on to their old life because it's all they've ever known. It's the same reason why women stay in abusive relationships. It might be horrible, but it's familiar. Because they don't understand what the freedom on the other side. And a lot of us hang on to our sinful life because we don't understand the freedom that comes with walking and an understanding of who Christ is. You gotta let go of that old life. If you want God to put newness in your hands, you've got to open your hands and let whatever's in it fall. What He has for you is more amazing than anything you could ever create for yourself. But you have to let Him do it. You'll never be able to get there on your own. He simply wants to walk with you. We don't clean our lives up and then come to Him. We come to Him to get our lives cleaned up. And we come to Him to let that old life die so that we may step into the newness of life so that we can stand before God when this life is over. We can stand before God and not be destroyed because we're without sin. I can't think of a better gift that God could have given to us. He gave us everything, we threw it away. And he gave us the opportunity to get it back. All we have to do is believe it. It's the easiest decision you'll ever make, and it's the hardest decision you'll ever make. 